the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Two men at the crossroads. One makes a decision to serve himself, and the other makes a decision to serve others. Two men at the crossroads. One surrenders his will to God. The other clings to his own selfish will. Two men at the crossroads. Two decisions. One decision to please God. The other decision to please self. Two choices. One choice for eternal life. One choice for eternal ruin. One is the easygoing, crossless, accommodating choice. The other is a radical commitment, total submission. That's Pastor Mark Finley, and this is Hope Lives 365. At Hope Lives 365, we believe God answers prayer. Keep in mind this telephone number throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. Here is Pastor Mark Finley with today's Hope Lives 365. Can it be written of you as it is written of Jesus? I do those things that please him. It's the greatest desire of your life to give your will to the living Christ. Some time ago, a hymn was written. And the hymn was written by Benjamin Smolik. And he wrote a hymn called, My Jesus As Thou Wilt. It's an unusual hymn. And he based it on that passage in Mark 14, verse 36, that says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Smolik's hometown was destroyed by fire. He wrote the hymn after that time. When his hometown was destroyed by fire, his two children were burned to death. He himself later became so traumatized by his town being destroyed by fire and by his children being burned to death that he had a nervous breakdown he became paralyzed in a stroke, and he developed blindness. Now imagine it. Your hometown is burned. Your house is burned. Your two children are consumed in the fire. You get a stroke, and you're paralyzed. In all of that, one day, as he was meditating on what had happened to him, in the bitter cup that he was given to drink, he wept and wept and said, Jesus, I can't understand this. I don't know why this has happened, but I know out of this you're going to bring your perfect will. And he wrote a song that's very unusual. It's a hymn of trust, and this is what the song says. It's a song based on this phrase, not my will, but thy will be done. My Jesus, as thou wilt, O may thy will be mine. Into thy hand of love I would my all resign. Through sorrow or through joy, conduct me as thine own and help me still to say, Jesus, thy will be done. The greatest struggle that Jesus faced in Gethsemane was the struggle over the will. Would he allow self-will to govern? Would he choose to please himself? Would he choose to indulge his own desire to avoid the cross? 
Christianity is not a crossless religion. Christianity is not a crossless religion. Not only did Jesus take the cross, but he invites us to take the cross. Christianity is not our giving up bad things so we can be saved. It's giving up good things so others can be saved. It is taking up the cross of Christ in self-denial. Ellen White makes an amazing statement in the book Steps to Christ, page 43. She says, the warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The greatest battle that you will ever fight is the battle with self. That is the greatest battle. Will I live a life for self-glory? Will I live a life for self-aggrandizement? Will I live a life to please myself? Or will I make sacrifices for Jesus Christ? Sacrifices that cost me something. And if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. The greatest warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, the surrendering all to the will of God, requires a struggle. But the soul must submit to God before it can be renewed in holiness. When you and I say, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. I'm not living for honor. I'm not living for prestige. I'm not living for position. I'm not living for reputation. I'm not living for money. I'm living for Jesus Christ. And in that life for Christ comes the greatest freedom. In the life for Christ comes the greatest joy. In the life for Christ comes the greatest peace, the greatest happiness. This is why Satan fought so viciously in Gethsemane. Because in Gethsemane, the world trembled in the balance. And the issue in Gethsemane was this. Would Jesus Christ make the decision to live for self? Or would he make the decision to give his life for all humanity and live a self-sacrificing life? That was the decision. How did the devil tempt Jesus in Gethsemane? The devil began to tempt him and he brought thoughts like this. Lord, you can go to the cross, but it's not going to be worth it. Because you may go to that cross, but one of your own disciples, Judas, is going to betray you. Your death on the cross is going to be of no avail. Because if Judas was with you for three and a half years and he denies you, why go to the cross for him? You think you're going to go to the cross and accomplish something? Look at Peter. He's going to deny you. Curse and swear. Jesus, you're wasting your life dying on the cross. The Jews are going to forsake you. Why not go back to your father in heaven? That's why Jesus prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. But not as my will, but as thy will be done. When Jesus made the decision to do the father's will, something miraculously happened. Remember three places in the Gospels that talk about this story, not my will, but thy will be done. Three places in the Gospels. And each one gives us a little different nuance. Now take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Luke. And you're looking there at Luke. There is another aspect to the story that we do not see in Matthew's Gospel. And we do not see in the Gospel of Mark, but we do see it in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 22. And you're looking there at verse 42 to 43. Luke chapter 22, verse 42 and 43. Jesus withdraws in verse 41 from the disciples. He kneels down and prays. Verse 42, you're in Luke 22. Saying, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now notice, we don't have this in any of the other Gospels. Verse 43. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Jesus prays and he surrenders to do the Father's will. And an angel comes down from heaven and says, Jesus, all of that stuff Satan told you is lies. As you go to the cross of Calvary, millions will be saved in your kingdom. As you go to the cross of Calvary, millions will be resurrected from the dead. Millions will never see death and be translated without seeing heaven. Jesus, don't give up. Jesus, go to the cross because it will be the salvation of all mankind. The angel is there strengthening him. The angel is there encouraging him. When you go through a trial in your life, when you go through your Gethsemane, when you're on your knees praying, when you're asking yourself the question, do I do my will or God's will? When the issue of life is surrender, when you make that decision, God sends an angel to your side. God brings hope. God brings joy. God brings encouragement. God brings strength. God never leaves us alone in our Gethsemane. Praise his holy name. Jesus leaves the garden. The mob comes. The mob comes. Is the mob coming again? Is the mob coming again? The mob comes. And Jesus is betrayed by his own, Judas. And he's betrayed with a kiss. And he's led to Pilate's judgment hall. And we see something dramatically different now in the contrast between Pilate and Jesus. The second of our two characters at the crossroads is Pilate. Jesus was at the crossroads in Gethsemane. And there he chose the path of self-sacrificial service to save others for the kingdom of God. But Pilate's at the crossroads. Pilate had a thankless job in Judea. He was scheduled as the prefect of an outpost, and his responsibility was to keep these rabble-rousing Jews in order. But Pilate didn't like Jerusalem at all, and Jerusalem didn't like Pilate. Pilate wanted to go back to Rome. He wanted to be part of the elite in Rome. Herod Agrippa won in a letter to Emperor Cagilia, Rights of Pilate, we find this in the historical archaeological record. He describes Pilate, and he says, Pilate was naturally inflexible, but he had a blend of self-will and relentlessness. In other words, Pilate was very egotistical. That's what he's saying here. Jesus is brought in before Pilate. Now, when you look at the story of Pilate and the story of Jesus, they're dramatically different. Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Jesus is brought in before Pilate. Jesus is dignified bearing impacts Pilate greatly. Jesus is being mocked, he's being ridiculed, he's being condemned. And Pilate is so impressed with Jesus that he finds no fault in him at all. Luke chapter 23, you're looking there at verse 1 and onward. Luke 23, 1 and onward. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we have found this fellow perverting the nation. They're lying. And forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Verse 3. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answers him, It is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in him. Now here is a Roman ruler who says there is no fault in Christ. What do you do if a man is judged and the judge says there is no fault in him? What do you do? What do you do? You let him go free, right? What does Pilate do? Verse 7. As soon as he knew that he had belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Why do you send an innocent man who you have just said there is no fault into Herod? Because you're a weak, vacillating compromiser 
who cannot stand the Jewish crowd. Now, here is the point. Once you start compromising, where do you stop? Pastor Mark Finley will continue with more in just a moment. Stay tuned. You can grow in your knowledge of God's Word by enrolling in online courses by Pastor Mark Finley. Go to HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. That's HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. When you go there, you will find wonderful courses such as Bible prophecy, discipleship, leadership, or improving your health. These courses are especially designed to help you discover deeper insights into the Bible. Go to HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. That's HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. Or call right now to register, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. 888-244-HOPE. Here now, once again, Pastor Mark Finley. Pilate says, I want to evade this problem. So I'm going to send him to Herod. But what does Herod do? Sends him back to Pilate. The sin that you compromise on today, you're going to face tomorrow again. You're going to face it tomorrow again. It's not going to go away just because you compromised on it today. And to deal with it tomorrow is going to be a greater problem for you than dealing with it today. So we go to the second compromise. Pilate makes three compromises. He makes three compromises. The first compromise is he has an innocent man that he should send free. And what does he do? He's at the crossroads of his life. He could have been written in the Bible as the man that said, I find no fault in Jesus, as the Roman centurion was who accepted Christ that moment. Christ would have been crucified, but Pilate didn't have to bear the guilt. So then, Pilate... Luke chapter 23, verse 14. He has to face what he denied. If you compromise today with sin, you're going to have to face that tomorrow or the next day. It's not going to go away. So Luke chapter 23, we're looking at verse 14 and onward. Pilate says to them, verse 13, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, what does he say the second time? Verse 14, Luke chapter 23, I have found what? No fault in this man concerning these things. Nor did Herod, for I sent him back. I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing worthy of death has been done by him. Now, if Pilate finds no fault in him the second time, if Herod finds no fault in him, what do you do with the man you find no fault in, church? You let him go. What does Pilate do? Next verse. I will therefore chastise him and then release him. Now, here is my question. Why flagellate him? Why beat his back? Why whip him? Why put him through that agony? You have said twice that he is an innocent man. You've said that two times. Because when you're weak and vacillating and compromised, you don't want to face the issue. Pilate said, okay, I know what they want. They want crucifixion. But I'll just give them a little blood. We'll whip him. Were they satisfied with that? They were not. Now take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 23 and 24. Pilate tried to evade the issue, but the issue kept coming back again and again and again. Luke chapter 23, verse 23 and 24. Pilate first says, I find no fault, and then send him to Herod. Secondly, he says, I find no fault with him, whip him. 
30 says, I find no fault with him. You can have him. Do whatever you want with him. Luke chapter 23, verse 23 and 24. The scripture says, but they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And Jesus was crucified after being declared innocent. Ellen White writes about this experience with Jesus and Pilate. And her words are telling. They echo down the decades and they speak to you and me today. She talks about when Pilate made that second decision. And when Pilate said, whip him. And Ellen White comments on that. Here, Pilate showed his weakness. This is Desire of Ages, page 731, if you're taking notes. Desire of Ages, page 731. It's a masterful statement on what was really happening here at this trial. Here, Pilate showed his weakness. He had declared that Jesus was innocent, yet he was willing for him to be scourged to pacify his accusers. He would sacrifice justice and principle in order to compromise with the mob. This placed him at a disadvantage. The crowd presumed upon his indecision and clamored the more for the life of the prisoner. If at the first Pilate had stood firm, if at first Pilate would have done what? Stood what, everybody? Firm. Refusing to condemn a man whom he found guiltless, he would have broken the fatal chain that was to bind him in remorse and guilt as long as he lived. Compromise bound him in remorse and guilt as long as he lived. There are young people today that are compromising their soul to the devil and they will live in remorse and guilt unless they come to Jesus and get that thing settled. Unless they come to Jesus and get that thing settled. There are Adventist business people today that live in guilt because of the compromises they make on their job. Jesus is calling us today from something much more than a crossless, easygoing, accommodating Christianity. He's calling us to be steadfast, to stand for right though the heavens fall, not to be weak and vacillating and spineless like Pilate. Now I continue. Had Pilate carried out his convictions of right? Now this is interesting. Did Pilate have convictions of right? Did God stir in his soul? God is stirring in the souls of men and women today. He gives us convictions of right. But if we yield to the crowd around us, if we compromise our integrity for popularity, we destroy our souls. Had he carried out his convictions of right, the Jews would not have presumed to dictate to him. Christ would have been put to death, but the guilt would not have rested upon Pilate. But Pilate had taken step after step in the violation of his conscience. Now, I want you to get this expression, step after step. Pilate had taken what did he take? Step after what? Step in the violation of his conscience. Did Pilate think that he was going to end up crucifying Jesus? Did he think that was going to happen? Did it happen? Why did it happen? Because he took step after step in compromise. Now, bring this to the last days of earth's history. Bring this to the 21st century. Ellen White, fifth volume of the testimonies. I read, the time is not when? Far distant. When the test will come upon every soul. Is there a test going to come on you? Is there a test going to come on me? Are we going to face our Gethsemane as well? Now notice what it says. Those who have step by step. Wait a minute. Did you read step by step about Pilate? What did Pilate do step by step? 
compromised his integrity. Those who have step by step yielded to worldly demands and conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than subject themselves to diversion, insult, threatened imprisonment of death. Think of the contrast between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate desired position, recognition, and honor. Jesus gave up position, honor, and recognition. Pilate thought only of saving himself. Jesus thought about saving others. Pilate wanted desperately to save his own life. Jesus thought only of surrendering his life. Pilate's cowardly compromise led to Jesus' death. Jesus' steadfastness led to our salvation. Pilate's decision led to his own shameful, horrible death, because after Christ died, Pilate was recalled to Rome, and he died a terrible death. Jesus' decision to die for us led him to eternal glory. Two men at the crossroads. One makes a decision to serve himself, and the other makes a decision to serve others. Two men at the crossroads. One surrenders his will to God. The other clings to his own selfish will. Two men at the crossroads. Two decisions. One decision to please God. The other decision to please self. Two choices. One choice for eternal life. One choice for eternal ruin. One is the easygoing, crossless, accommodating choice. The other is a radical commitment to total submission. I've always been impressed with that poem by Robert Frost called The Road Not Taken. And I love the last few lines where Frost says, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages hence that two roads diverged in a wood and I took the one less traveled by. And that's made all the difference. Two roads before you today. Which road will you choose? The road of easygoing, accommodating, crossless, comfortable, feel-good Christianity. Two roads before you today. What road will you take? The road of self-sacrificing surrender, where you hold nothing back and give it all to Jesus. Two roads before you today. The road to eternal life and the road to eternal death. Two roads before you today, the road of commitment and decision and the road of compromise. Would you like to say deep within your heart as I pray today, Jesus, Jesus, I am taking the road less traveled. The world will not understand you. Some in the church may not understand you. This is not a call for easygoing Christianity. It is a call for radical discipleship, radical submission in the last days of earth's history, because that's what it's going to take to get this job done. Let's pray together. Would you like to say as I pray by raising your hand, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. If that is your desire deep within your heart, just raise your hand. Not my will, but your will be done. You may put your hand down. Is there somebody here today that you know in your heart that there have been some compromises? You have played the pilot step by step. You've made decisions that have bound you. And you want to say, Jesus set me free. Jesus set me free.
Jesus frees us from the bonds that hold us. Jesus frees us from the shackles that bind us. Jesus opens the prison doors. If there's been something in your heart where step by step you've been yielding, and you just want to say, Jesus, set me free, I surrender it to you. Just raise your hand. Oh, my Father, you see our hands and you know our hearts. We're so thankful that Jesus did not compromise in Gethsemane. They cried out to his Father. We're so thankful, Jesus, that you sent an angel to strengthen and encourage him. And we are so thankful for the angels that you stand by our sides. Oh, my Father, my Father, we open our hearts to you and surrender, knowing that we're weak but you're strong, knowing we are powerless but you are almighty and powerful. We trust in your grace and power. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in practical, relevant ways. Visit the website hopelives365.com to find out more about Pastor Mark Finley at Hope Lives 365. Call 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673 or visit hopelives365.com. Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.